0: there's nothing in this world that i would say or or that i would do that i could that i would feel ashamed to share with mike when i blow it when i explode when i say things i shouldn't when i have to apologize when i whatever it may be you know that i i don't feel any shame i feel so comfortable sharing that with him man and what
1: what a gift to have and i want every
0: listener to have that i really do
1: Hey, if you've got some stuff in your past that you're not proud of and who doesn't, well, you're going to be encouraged to listen to my guest, Adam French, on this episode of Unbeatable because he just gets real. He gets honest and you'll hear he gets honest right out of the gate. So honest, in fact, that he just pours out the details of his life. He's making a huge difference in a lot of people's lives. And it became so influential that he turned this into a book called Mandinity. I can't wait for you to hear from Adam on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Struker. Adam, thank you so much for taking some time to be with me on this episode of Unbeatable.
0: Man, it's a wonderful day to be here. Thank you for inviting me on, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it with you.
1: Yeah, you got an incredible story. We're going to talk about how unbeatable you have been at multiple points in your life. But when anybody who does a little bit of research on you goes back and finds out about who you are and what shaped you into the man that you are today, of course, all of us were heavily influenced by parents, either parents that were there and poured a lot into our lives or parents that weren't there and that left a big mark on us. Can you tell us a little bit, and I'm just gonna put the ball on the tee and make it easy for you to hit. Tell us a little bit about what life was like for you with your mom and your dad Before you turned 16. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Growing up, you know, I grew up in the country. I mean, I'm a country boy. I'm in the middle of nowhere and things were well. My, my parents always partied a little bit. We, there was, wasn't necessarily anything morally that jumped out to me that was wrong or, or abusive uh, or that point. And my parents worked hard. I mean, they worked hard and they built these careers, but they were standing i guess you would say on ice they were built on ice there wasn't right. this solid foundation of what i what i would say was important which is faith there wasn't a strong faith there wasn't a strong belief a purpose for what they were doing and so my dad as his business began to grow the stress began to grow there wasn't a, a place that he could go to express that a brotherhood a a close friend he had a lot of drinking buddies and partying buddies but most of their talks were around what a sport event was happening that week uh-huh. or, you know so uh my, as my dad's business began to take off his alcoholism began to take off and he began to get worse in his drinking and started to disappear and started to make us feel uncomfortable and then he became violent he did he was uh physically and verbally abusive and eventually just left he left and it was me and my mom my brother had went to college by that time. And, and so that was a big shift for me. That was a change. And, and to be honest, there was a sense of release, relief. You know, when people who's ever been in that kind of world or a high pressured situation, there was a sense of relief, like, ah, okay, I can breathe now. I'm not walking around on egg cells. It's almost like, you know, the battle was over, but in reality, the battle was just beginning. Right. Maybe there's a listener right now who is in that same situation who thought they had already gotten over a hump, had already gotten over that last battle, right? We're either we either coming out of a battle or uh-huh. going into one. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so when my father's exit happened, my my mom was obviously very depressed and disappointed and down. And she was tilling the garden, and pulled a muscle on her back. And my mom had been a teacher um, for 12 years, special education, just a sweet kind lady Uh this is the beginning of the opioid crisis before there were checks and balances on the amount of pills that were put out by doctors and she went to the doctor and he starts prescribing her her prescription pain medication so my little blonde haired blue eyed mom who always was wiping my nose and kissing my cheek Uh and put me on the school bus now became a full-blown addict and i'm 16 years old and it just my world just changed upside down to where my mom was gone for weeks at a time i it was, it was normal for me to be alone, um, you know, abandoned. And weird guys show up asking about money and things like that. And so, you know, I, I'll say this and kind of throw the ball back. there began to be a whisper in my heart that, that I was not hearing, like, outwardly. Uh-huh. But I was internalizing deep within. And that whisper was, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for your dad. You're not good enough for your mom to be here. And so there was there was this boiling up inside of me. And the way that I expressed that was with anger and ego. So I would put on a mask to make sure you thought that I was a OK. My ego was as high as you could get, as high as you could get. But my self-esteem was as low as you could get. So the mask was the buffer. So that's kind of how things were up until that age of 16, where this mask protected the pain and, and it hid the purpose for my life. Because see, here's the thing. When you share the pain, God reveals the
1: purpose. Uh-huh. You
0: know, and the, our, when our, what, the mess is what God uses for our message. So what we're taught in a lot of times as men and just in general in society is to cover up our struggles right to not show weakness but when we show weakness that's actually where god shows his strength yeah so i had to i had to go through some devastating things to learn that my struggle it was what i needed to share when i was able to take that mask off was when uh the winning winning the battle began to happen for me
1: man i adam i'm impressed you got really deep really fast you don't waste any time brother man you just go straight <laughs> after it so Um, I think there's a lot of people who are living right now what you just described. They're living this sense of identity where they have some self-esteem issues and they're not sure if they're good enough. So they're trying to hide the fact that they're not sure they're good enough by living behind a mask. In fact, I was just thinking you, what you essentially said is on paper and in public, your dad has everything going for him, right? Cause he's, he's, right. he's got a very successful company, but when he gets home and closes the doors, it's not at all pretty. And I cannot help, but think there's a lot of people in our world who are living that same mask that your dad was living when you were growing up.
0: Absolutely. You know, in our first, our first, I think step into that, you know, what, what we think of, of, of how to cope is to internalize. So instead of saying, I need help, let, let me grab someone's hand. Yeah. Let me grab someone's ear. Let me share share my heart with someone. Let me find somebody who will help me walk through this. I need a bridge to cross this river that I can't get across. Our initial thought is let me internalize this. Let me figure out a way to overcome this. And then when we can't, because obviously we're not here alone, right? Do you look around? There's millions of people. God created us for relationship, right? We were, we were made and wired to be connected with people and to be in relationship with people. Look at the relationships we have with our animals, right? I mean, gosh, there's pet stores everywhere because we have just this love that we want to get out and to express even for our little cats, right. our little dogs, our birds, like we're wired for it. And so when we when we internalize that, what we're really saying is is I'm going to try to go off in a cave and 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 try to take care of my wound by myself. And we don't have this herd mentality. We can I, I'm gonna bring up the animals. Some I'm, yeah. I'm gonna go there. On He's just, just gonna
1: just, stay. Just stay there, man. And sure. Follow
0: this squirrel, squirrel. Everybody, I'm chasing a yeah. squirrel. I'm going after it. But there's this there's this idea that. That animals, when they're wounded, they will do anything that they can to stay close to the herd. They will drag and drag their leg because they know there's safety in the herd. Humans are the only- We run only, the
1: other direction, right?
0: We go, listen, I'm going to go die alone. I'm going to go suffer and die alone. So for someone who's listening and they're in that situation right now, you don't have to figure this out on your own. Right. Yeah. You know, you. Well, oftentimes we're only as sick as our secrets. Those secrets keep us sick. Right. So I thought I had to hide that because if someone found out about that about me, it was going to make them feel less of me. And then I was going to struggle. But the truth was, is I was struggling because I was keeping it silent and my freedom was on the other side of saying, I need help and I don't know how to deal
1: with this. Well, let's talk about some of the ways that you turn to other things uh, to hide or to mask the struggles that were going on inside of you, man, because at 16 years old, now your dad is already bailed on you, full-blown alcoholic, violently alcoholic, and mom is straight up, this sweet woman, when she gets a hold of prescription painkillers, turns into a different person, and she's kind of bailed on you, uh, it, um, you know because of the drugs. So what do you turn to at 16 years old to make up for the gap? Yeah. You know, it was, for me, it was just constant disappointment, disappointment
0: because I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I couldn't fix my mom. I, I couldn't be good enough to, to fill. That's what I thought, man, if I was just, if I was just better, if I was a better son, right? God. Yeah, if she would you know, maybe if I was if I was a better athlete, if you know there was more notoriety around me. So I could not figure out. So it was this constant state of disappointment. And so for me, what I turned to initially was alcohol. It was, you know, partying on the weekends, finding a way on the weekend to um to to just, man, let me escape. Let me drink, let me uh, have this bravado uh-huh. where I wanted to intimidate. Our, the bully bullying was, was one of the first things that let me find a way to intimidate other people to make other people feel less. Cause I was trying to feel more. I wanted to feel better. I had these broken pieces that I had no idea how to put back together. Yeah, Like, how do you put, you know, it's like looking at a puzzle <clears throat> that you don't have all the pieces to put together but there's pieces in your hand and you can't see where they go. So imagine how frustrating that is when you're going, no, you, your job, your job for the day is to put the pieces in the puzzle together. And you're going, I, 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 I there's, they don't right. fit. I, yeah. I, I, I can't see them. It's. And so for me, it was alcohol on the weekends. And then it started to slowly grow into marijuana every day, marijuana in the morning, marijuana in the afternoon. It was, I just had to escape. And then it grew into, into sexual stuff where it was like, I had to conquer a woman. I had to indulge in pornography, anything to change the way I was feeling. So what I learned to do was, I could find stuff that could could change the way I felt on the inside quickly. And although they were short lived, and although they were they didn't they didn't have a, a an actual change of my reality. Uh-huh. There wasn't a long lasting change. It was it was just a quick moment where I could change the pain inside. And and people will say, people don't understand when I say this, but I'll say I am very proud of myself as a 16-year-old kid. I'm very proud of what I did. I'm not, listen, I'm not condoning drugs and alcohol, but listen, I was in survival mode. Right. Yeah. I was doing anything I could to survive a horrific situation. And the fact that I was able to graduate high school, play sports, and yes, I smoked weed every day and I did all those things. I'm not condoning or necessarily proud of, of the way that I treated people or, or some of those choices I made. But I'm just, I'm just proud of the fact that I had to, I figured something out to make it through right. the pain.
1: Yeah, that you didn't end up dead in a ditch somewhere, right? Because those Absolutely. circumstances that you were growing up in could have easily led you there. Absolutely. And it was, uh, let's just get real, man. It was hard as a teenager watching your mom and dad, but it got even harder for you when you're 17 years old. Right. And now you're living, you're basically homeless and living out of your car. How did you get to this point? Yeah. You know,
0: it's tough to think about, you know, to remember some of that. And and I know we all have people here who are listening, have gone through different, more difficult things than me. So I don't want to think anybody out there, you know, some, some of you are listening going, wow, man, my life was great. Some of you are listening, you're going, this dude doesn't even know. Yeah, he, he doesn't, doesn't even, even know, know, right? He doesn't even know, right? And and so the things that happen to us, the stories are different, but the way that we felt is the same. Right. Like hurt and pain and trauma, it it feels the same. And and I think the solutions are as well. But when I when I was 17, you know, I, I've really reached a point where it was just like, I can't live in this world anymore. You know, I'd almost, I'd reached my breaking point and, um, I just left. I I packed, um, I packed some stuff in a, in a garbage bag and, uh, eventually in a suitcase and I kind of bounced from, I bounced from couch to couch with my friends Uh and graduated high school. And then I lived out of my car for, um, almost a, a year and a half. I drove down to Florida and I would, I knew that I was missing something. Like, I don't know if you've ever felt that like you've, you're watching a movie or you're watching a game or you you just, you stepped into a conversation. You're like, ah, you're, you're on the edge. right? Yeah.
1: Like, it's like, I I'm definitely I'm am missing something. Right.
0: Yeah. Like, Hey dude, uh, just wait, stop. What in the world is happening. Right. right. That's how I felt about life because I was seeing my friends, they would smoke a joint or they would drink a beer or they would have struggles. And, but they were, they were continuing to progress. I felt like I'm going nowhere, uh-huh. you know, barely graduating. My, my, my home situation is getting worse. And so I lived in this car and I'd watch the sun go down and, and on, on the beach. I, I sewed beads on the beach for food. I sewed T-shirts. Uh, I would confess, you know, some days I'd walk through Walmart and just start eating food because uh-huh. I'm hungry, like I'm a homeless kid trying to survive. And, um, you know, during the midst of all of this, um, I believe God was working on the backside. You know, God never. He, here's the thing. There's nothing that we can do to make God not love us. Right. So he's yeah. always pursuing us. He's always providing this way out. And so, believe it or not, the the very person who started the destruction in my family, my father, is the very person who who began to start the rebuild. Uh-huh. So God began to pursue my father and my dad was a construction company guy. And he, he lost everything except for one little one little dozer. And he was doing work at this, at this resort by the lake, a beautiful place. And uh, a pastor would come there on Sunday mornings and start to talk about God and start to talk about Jesus Christ and start to talk about this God that loved them and that had grace for them. Not this God that was judgmental, not yeah. this God that said, you've got to change your life before you come to me. Like, you know, cause I would always envisioned, envisioned church and Faith is like a God club
1: for good people, right? I'm like, <laughs> and you're like, I totally don't belong with that crowd. <laughs> hey, bro, I, I don't sign me up when they
0: find out who I am. And then I realize, like, no, 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 we're, we're all broken. Mm-hmm. We're all sinners. We're we're all we're all make mistakes, and and, the, and that's the reason why God came. Like He wants you because you're broken. Like He wants you because you're struggling. It is it's, it's a hospital for the sick. And, and so this man began to share that type of faith and that message with my dad my dad came to know Christ and he came to begin this faith walk and so the story goes i'll i'll give you the wow, very man. short version yeah, come on the very short version is that my dad and his friends who he partied with began to pray in this basement that they always partied in really pray wow. That, that Adam would come home because I didn't have a cell phone. There was none of that going on, right? And they didn't know if I was dead or alive. Uh-huh. And I woke up one day and I said, "Man, I'm gonna go. I gotta go check on my mom. I'm just gonna, for some reason, I just woke up and said I gotta go home." And they've been praying for me for weeks. And I, I smoke a blunt. That's a rolled up, you know, marijuana in, in and in a cigar. I smoke a blunt on the way home. I go check on my mom. She goes right to bed. She was very strung out. I said, "Well." I guess I'll go see my dad before I track back out there and try to figure out what life is about. So on a Sunday morning, I didn't even really know that Sunday was significant for some believers, you know? And so I go on a Sunday morning and I, I pull up in this basement and nobody's there and there's no cigarettes. There's no beer cans. And I'm like, this looks a little different, you know, it's a little cleaner in here. must've been cleaning day. (laughs) And my dad walks in with him and his friends and, they were clean cut and, you know, dressed up a little bit. Uh, and uh, I said, what are y'all doing? Where y'all been? And they said, oh, well, we just got back from church. I said, church? What's church? <laughs> you know? When did you guys start <laughs> going to church, right? <laughs> What's that? You know, and uh, they were new believers and they, they looked like they saw a ghost. They were literally, they, I thought wow. they were going to pass out because they yeah. were praying for me. So the next day, uh, my dad brings me in to a church. I couldn't come on Sundays and Wednesdays when normal people do. I came on Monday morning. That's how messed up <laughs> I was, right? And I miss church. But on Monday, you know, by the way, if you're listening, church is not confined to, a, to an address, a time, or a space. Yeah. It's not Sunday morning or a name of a place. Church is the people of God, people that love God and want to share it. So it's, it's all the time. It's all around you. If you're a believer, you are the church. And if you're listening, we're trying to be the church now to let you know that God loves you in an immeasurable way. There's uh-huh. nothing you can do to separate you. Nothing you can do to separate you from his love. He He wants to know you. He wants to love you. And so I found that out that Monday that God loved me and that my whole life, my whole purpose in life was to, to love him and to share uh, uh hit my faith with other people and so yeah he just opened up the bible and he began to tell me who Jesus was and I I thought where where has this been I I grew up in the south right. I, I've never heard that Jesus loved me because of my sin that that God came to earth to die for me because of my sin I told I heard a totally different story right. so that's the day where really my life changed I've never been the same since I've never became perfect or started wearing you know, in, in, I didn't start, you know, putting on a cape and become, you know, a super holy man. But my life changed. I never felt the same. I never thought the same. And And that was the beginning of a different story for me.
1: Yeah. It's incredible that your dad who started this whole family train wreck becomes the one who starts to get the train back on the tracks again, starts to help not just himself, but help you figure out what it means to walk in a relationship with your creator, man. That is an incredible story. Hey, um, I am convinced. In fact, I've said this to many audiences, When guys start to ask me to speak about what it means to be a man, I'm convinced that in the United States, most guys don't get it. And the reason they don't get what it means to be a man is because they've never had a father who looked them in the eyes and said, hey, son, here's what it means to be a man. These are the things that a man does. This is the moment where you become a man. And so they're trying to figure it out. And I I do this segment. um, We talked about this just before the episode started. I do this segment that I call my high five. Usually it's a point where I can just be a little bit lighthearted because people's stories can get really deep and really dark, really fast. Um, But I have had thousands of people talk to me about not knowing when do I really become a man? And so Mm -hmm. in this, uh, episode, I really want to talk to you cause you're kind of the man expert. We're going to talk about your book in just a moment about being yeah. what, it, about the identity of a man, literally man mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to ask you top five things that you have heard guys say, this is the moment that I think I became a man because nobody was telling them what that moment was. I want to tell you what my top five are and I want you to think about it as we go back and forth. I want you to tell me the five things that you've heard guys say, I get, I don't really know. So I guess this is the point where you become a man. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I have here, here it is. Number five on my list. I have heard guys tell me, I just generally don't know when do you transition from boyhood to manhood? So I guess it's the day that you start to shave And, (laughs) and as a result, it's the classic little boy in the mirror with dad's shaving cream, scraping a razor across the face that doesn't have any fur on it at all because he wants to be considered a man. And I guess shaving is what makes you a man, right? That's number five on my list. What about you? You okay. had some.
0: Okay. Yeah. So oh, obviously we're going to do what people say. And then at the end, if you don't mind, I'd love to do yeah. what what I believe is actually true.
1: Yes, if absolutely. We can, can
0: we flip it a little bit? Yeah, can we definitely. play with your segment here? I'm sorry. But yeah, so my number five would be, I I would say when you get that car, it was like, Hey, you know, when I, when you, when you're able to drive and you can tell, decide who or not gets in your car and you can go where you want to go in a relative time frame. it's like, that's when you're a man. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I got my car, I thought, man, I've made it.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, People look to society. When, when parents don't tell you what it means to be a man, they'll naturally turn to society. Number four on my list is I've heard guys say, well, I guess when I'm old enough to vote, then I become a man. And I'm like, are you serious right now? You're really going to let the government tell you that you're a man just because you can cast yeah. a vote? Uh, for me, what about you know, you, man? Give me another one.
0: That,
1: Uh When you become a man, I think,
0: well, I heard this a lot is when you have your, when you have your first real fight, right when you like we're men right hey when when you got into that real fight not you're like you know you're, not you're slapping each you're other slapping across the face right? Right. or you are come on
1: come on man come on punch yeah. me. hit me you hit yeah what
0: what what that's not it <laughs> right but when you had a fight you're like that dude just like hit me and that hurt and that i hurt. hit him and i think it hurt him right so i would say like when you had that fight everybody you know a lot of people were like all right man
1: you yeah. made it. You yeah. Know, so. yeah, right. Your buddies are telling you that's it. Hey, number three on my list is when a guy drinks for the first time. Um, I, I wish I could say that it's when he's legally old enough to drink for the first time. But I don't know that I, I, I've met anybody who waited to drink alcohol until they were legally old enough to drink alcohol. If they believed that was the measure of a man, like they started drinking as fast as they could because they didn't know what it meant to be a man.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, love it. yeah. Um, that's that's. I would say that's probably number one on most people's list. There's a lot of people that would put that number one in society today. Um, you know, I'm from the south, so those of you who maybe grew up in the city or the suburbs, please don't judge me and maybe feel like I'm like barbaric. But he's going to talk about moonshine three. right now,
1: right? <laughs> You're where? No, I thought you were going to say something about moonshine. No, go ahead. No, number no, three. yeah,
0: yeah. No, I'm not going to say that. Um, although I have tasted moonshine. My dad gave me moonshine when I was like 12. Well, that's a whole nother story. Uh, you can, by the way, if, if it's real moonshine, when you drink it, you can feel it move throughout your entire body until it reaches your extremities. That's real moonshine. I had it when I was 12. Good Go to try know. It at home. All right. Unless you're trying to light a fire. Um, but no, um, number three would be when will be when you kill your first animal. I remember when I killed uh, my first yeah. Deer yeah and and my dad this is I'm sorry. This is kind of graphic, but no, nah, dude. When you're it's dead a man was, show, it's a man sure, show. Yeah. Anyway, so you, you you cut the deer down the middle, right from the sternum. My dad actually made me put my hands inside of him. Uh huh. It's an old kind of, I guess, Native American thing. It's where you're just like, hey, uh, you want to feel? You can still w- feel the warmth of his right. body, and knowing that you took someone, you took the life of something else. So, yeah. I remember doing that. That's, that. Maybe that's not a bad one. I don't know. But I remember my dad doing
1: that. Well, um, here's number two on my list. And this one is probably the the most often heard answer I've got from other guys. When they slept with a girl for the first time. Right. Doesn't matter if they were a teenager or if it was in their marriage there, nobody was telling them this is what it, this is when you become a man. So they just automatically assumed, I guess sex is the moment that you really become a man. That's number two on my list, but probably the answer that I've heard most of the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I actually have that. I have that on here too. I I would, I, I was thinking that we're on the same page. So my number two was definitely sex. Like I can remember being in the locker room and And, and, you know, the shame that went out, if you, if you feel like you, if you were a virgin, right. You're a virgin on this pressure to, to do that. So it's definitely, and I don't think that's changed at all from, from hearing from some of the things I get to speak and go to camps a lot. And I'm around teenagers all summer, thousands of summer I got to speak to. So that is definitely a pressure cooker. Yeah. Yeah something right now. So number
1: one on my list and number one on my list, because I joined the military right out of high school, still 18 years old. My number one is basically your number three, except for it is when a guy kills another man in combat. That's the moment that they feel like, okay, I guess I've just become a man.
0: Really? Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. You now. Cause I've heard a lot of, I, I've spoken to men who have really, really struggled with that. You know, just the idea of having done that, how, You know, in your experience, uh, so you're saying that is seen as like a positive. No, I'm I'm not
1: saying it's seen as a positive. So the whole reason for having this discussion with you, and by the way, I really want to hear number one on your list, is to just say, guys don't know. So they're trying to figure it out, and they're guessing. And I guess that voting was it, but it's not. And I thought that shaving was it, but it's not. So maybe it's sex. Maybe it's the first time that I killed another man in combat. When did I actually become a man?
0: That's good, Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so number one for me is just when you turn, basically it's either when you turn 18 or kind of couple that with when you graduate, I feel like, you know, growing up for me, that graduation point, even though a lot of my kids, Hey, we're thinking of going to college, like all that, but it was like childhood ended, you know, now you've got to decide you're going to work a job. You're going to find a trade. You're going to, it was like, that's over. You get to party. You get to do all these things. You get to be a kid. You're protected. If you make a mistake, you're not going to prison or going to jail. They were just kind of like this un- unheard thing. And I really felt that I think for a long time, as long as I was under 18, as long until I graduated, I was still a kid. Once I graduated, it was like, dude, you've got to do something with your
1: life. All right. Now,
0: so for me, you know, manhood, I think for society and necessarily an un- unbiblical one would be Man, as soon as you graduate high school. Yeah.
1: I want to camp on this idea for a moment because I have talked to thousands, no exaggeration, of guys. I've asked them all this question Who told you that you're a man and what was the moment? And Adam, less than 1%, I'm not exaggerating, less than 1% of the guys that I've talked to said anyone ever in their lifetime described what it meant to be a man told them that they're a man and held them, uh, you know, treated them like a man, less than 1% of the thousands and thousands of men that I've asked this question, the more than 99% said, I don't know. Nobody ever told me. So I've been trying to figure this one out. And I'm not really sure if I understand what's the exact moment where I go from being a boy to being a man.
0: Yeah. Well, I would, I would say throw me into that pile. I, I don't I've ever remember anyone saying this is how a man, no, obviously once I, once I got into, um, the realm of faith, there's a lot of books, uh, men's fraternity, like yeah. all these things out there that I felt like were, were trying to equip me. And there were men that God brought in my life that spoke into my life and affirmed me and affirmed my manhood um, later on after the age of 25, but below 25, really, I I, I can't remember any conversations about manhood or what it meant to be a man. What I learned how to be a man was from TV and music and, and, and the world radio, all those things kind of shaped my identity as a man, what I saw and what I heard. And so for me, I always like to answer this question, as it's not a light switch. So I think we either feel like here's manhood is either the lights are on or the lights are off because we want it quick. We want a fix. We want validation. When really manhood is is longevity. It's a consistent walk that someone takes with us. Fatherhood is not uh, Uh – there's not one thing that I'm going to teach my kid or five things that I'm going to teach my two sons that's going to make them a man. It's the fact that I'm consistently right. with them every day and I'm helping them navigate um, and giving them principles and teaching them how to do the next right thing. in these situations, and I'm speaking life about how a man handles this situation or that situation. So I think we have to stop looking at manhood as a light switch yeah. on, off, on, off, 18, 17, when you have sex. Da, da, da. No, it's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to journey with you and I'm going to walk hand in hand in brotherhood And teach you everything that I know. And when I don't know something, I'm going to reach out to someone who knows something that I respect in this area. And so it's, I think as a society, we've got to learn how to take this long walk, which is what my book, my people were to say, Adam, what is your book? I would say your book is a, is a slow walk through your soul. And I think that's how we have to see about raising the next generation of men. It's a slow walk in training their soul, renewing their mind to see things the way that God and men are supposed to see it. So their identity is not in their job, their career, their situation. That's where military guys struggle when they get out because the whole world was the military. It's like, my career was that. It's like, no, your identity is in your faith and in who your character and in your integrity and who you are as a man, no matter what you do, that doesn't change.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I think if
0: we can build that in to our upcoming generation, that's what manhood is: being comfortable in your own skin, being confident in who you are, being content and having peace. That's a man. Yeah,
1: you know. Well, I was thanks, man, because I was about to say there's a 17 year old guy. Uh, asking this question, there's a 37 year old guy and everything in between who are saying, I don't know, cause nobody's ever told me this is the mark of being a man. When you've, when you've got to this point, now you look like, and now you start to act like a man. So in your own words, how would you describe or define what it means to be a man?
0: Yeah. Love that question. You know, <clears throat> the first thing I would say, uh, let me just answer this first part to that 37 year old and that 17 year old. Hey, listen, if you're listening, go find some men. Yeah. Go find yeah, some men. If you want to play, hey, listen, if, if we want to learn how to do something, we get on YouTube and we you find, find somebody, somebody who knows how to do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, how do you bake a chocolate cake? How do you bake a chocolate cake? YouTube, you you find the one that has five million views and all this, and you learn and you watch and you take notes. I would say, listen, find a, a my encouragement, my we find a faith community, find a church that is teaching teaching the Bible is actually pulling out the Bible, reading it, and teaching what it says, get involved with men and walk with them. Tell them, hey, I want to learn how, and have a, a man teach me growing up, Or I'm and just be vulnerable and get with those men. And I'm telling you what a wonderful place to be when you're in community with men. And that's that first step for you. And to answer the question, hey, what does it mean to be a man? How do you know if you're a man? For me, the big thing is, like I said, being comfortable in your own skin, not feeling like you have to be a chameleon. If you come into a situation and there's and there's different men, different personalities, and you have to chamele, you, you have to change, change who you to, are, right? You have to change who you are. If you have to be this around this group, have to be this around that group, then I would say, man, there's a lot of room to grow. There's some, there's a lot of things that you need to 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 look at. And I would really encourage you to be around. Uh, like I said, get into that community of men so that you can start to grow and feel comfortable and journey through your heart and being here. So I think the big thing is having that centeredness where I feel comfortable and I'm the same person everywhere that I go. I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm I'm trying my best to walk in humility, but having that centeredness about you. Now there's a long way to get there, but I think that's how we can go. I'm a man. I'm, I'm confident in who I am. I know who I am. I'm the same person everywhere that I go. I don't have to change for anybody else. Now don't let this be a um don't let this be a, a, a way out for you to be a jerk. Like right. if you're a jerk right now and you're arrogant and and you think in everywhere you go I'm not giving you a pass. I'm I'm yeah, I'm me everywhere I go. Well, you're a jerk, right? I'm not giving you a pass for being. <laughs> a jerk. You might be you, but
1: you're a jerk.
0: Right. I'm saying if you're in good relationship with people and you're doing your best to be at peace with all people, I think having that centeredness about you and being able to be assertive and being able to be, uh, to understand how you feel. I think there's a chapter in my book called discovering how you feel, which is the, one of the chapters I get the most feedback on because for a long time, I I could not put any words to feelings. I remember someone calling a man, for the first time and I was telling him what was going on. I said, man, I, I'm, I'm depressed. And this is when I was practicing using the phone and trying to be in a relationship with another man, you know, in, in a healthy way, calling him when I needed some advice and stuff. And I was like, man, I'm depressed. He goes, tell me what happened. I told him what happened. He goes, Adam, that sounds a lot like disappointment. And so he had to teach me what yeah, feeling like yeah. I couldn't even verbalize what was happening inside because I had, I was, everything was so ego and I, I hadn't had real healthy Communication and connection, so I didn't even know what that looked like. Right. So, so that was a long story because I was chasing a rabbit there. But having that centeredness would would answer the question, if in my opinion. I, I'm mentioned what what would what what do you say? What would you think if if, if if I were to reverse the question? Hey, what does it look like? What does it mean to be a man to you? Because I know you talk to men all the time. I'm interested in your.
1: I 100% agree, man. You got to have another guy, at least one other guy in your life who's already gone down the road, who's the kind of man that you would like to turn into one day. You don't have to do what he does for a living. You don't have to be, you know, have all that, uh, what he owns, but he's the kind of got the kind of character that you want to be. And then you start getting to know that guy, getting connected with that guy, learning from that guy, and then living, literally modeling your life after that guy. I usually tell audiences, and I want to say this to a mom right now who's single and raising sons on her own and trying to figure this whole thing out. I usually say that it really does take a man to call the man out of a boy. It doesn't have to be. In, in God's perfect plan, it would be a dad, but if the dad's not there, if he's drunk or if he's dead or if he's divorced and just bailed on you, or if he's disconnected, he's in the house, but he doesn't care, then go find another dude that you really want to be like, and just be humble enough to say, Hey, I want to model my life after you. I want to learn. And I want to live like you one day. Would you help me? Tell me, show me what it looks like to be a man. And then I really do think there is a point and like you I don't believe it should be a light switch but I do think there's a point where a man looks a boy in the eyes and says this is what's expected of you okay at this moment I'm going to start treating you like a man and as long as you act like a man you're going to get treated like a man and when you start acting when you start acting like a boy I'm going to have to treat you like a boy again and for the single moms out there that are saying, I, I don't know how to do that with my sons, they're teenagers and there's no guy in their life, never been a guy in their life for those moms. I would say you go out and find a guy who yeah. you wish your sons would grow up to be like that and start to get your boys around a guy like that.
0: Yes. I love that. And, and you know, <clears throat> like for me, you know, I, I remember sitting down with my, <clears throat> with my son and saying, you know, Hey, your body's going to start changing over the next few uh-huh. years, and this isn't a one conversation. This is an ongoing conversation right. we're going to have between each other, and, and laying out some some physical things and some and sharing some things about what sex was about, and, and even the act, all of the the physiology of that and the biology of everything about that, and having that open line of conversation. And so, I would say, you know, for him, that was really the beginning. Of that manhood journey, where we saw, I started to say, "Hey, you're starting to change from a boy to a man, uh-huh. and it's not gonna be a switch. It's it's gonna start to happen, and I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna be present. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna walk with you. You don't have to do this alone. When you when you're scared, when you have questions, when you don't know what to do, when it feels uncomfortable, you come to me. Yeah." And I'm I'm going to be with you, and so I think that is is so important. It's something I didn't have. A, I never had the sex talk with my dad. We, he never even brought any of that up. I like mean, there you know, there was just no conversation. There was such a a loud sounding silence. Silence. Yeah, definitely. That left me feeling alone and left me feeling insecure. I think if we're not affirmed in our manhood and we're not giving some type of some type of guy, right. And we're left with all these insecurities
1: and man, do we ever make up for it so much? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and we usually find the wrong examples to make up for it. Right.
0: Oh man. We will overcompensate just to the extreme much more in a lot of ways than, than our, than, than a woman will. It's, it's an opposite kind of response, but we overcompensate and most of the time it's destructive. Yeah. I love that you have this conversation. I love that you bring up that high five. What a wonderful thing to give uh, your audience and your listeners.
1: Yeah. Well, not only that, but man, thank you for being real because there's a moment where you have to take the mask off. We're using the language that you just described a a few minutes ago, where you have to take the mask off, look another guy in the eyes and say, I don't know what it takes to get to where you are. I need help because I want to get to where you are. Would you help me? And man, that takes some humility. Um, it takes some vulnerability, but if you're willing to let your guard down and be humble and be vulnerable, but more than anything else, pick the right dude to do this with, it can have the, that can be one of the greatest influences in your lifetime. No exaggeration. Absolutely. And <clears> to <throat> the guy that's listening
0: that that seems daunting, you know, I, I would say, the group setting is, can sometimes be your first step. So if there's a men's study, there's, there's so many great men's studies out there. And I know there's, 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 there's churches that are having things all the time and, and, and be careful where you get into, because there are men's groups that are are advocating and, and uplifting things that are not true manhood, you know, there's right. business groups that may yeah. be getting together and, and it's a, and it's, and it's to, to, to talk negatively about their wives or to, drink their yeah. problems away or, <clears throat> or to say, it's okay to have, you know, multiple partners. So, you know, look to the church. I would really encourage you to look to the faith of the church and find that group and get in that group setting with guys and just listen and, and learn from the teacher, uh-huh. but also look around and, and you'll see, there'll be a guy who his talk matches his walk Right, and you'll start to see him. And, 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 and I would say, begin to pray, you know, pray, God, would you send a man in my life? Help me to see that man and pray for that. And as you put yourself in those situations to be around men, he'll come. He'll yeah, be there, he and, and then you'll get to kind of. So it took me a little while. I started to go to men's fraternity. I started to go to men's recovery groups. That was because my I had so much trauma. I had so much addiction in my family, and I found myself in a place where alcohol and drugs were a part of my life. So I started to get into these recovery circles, and I just started to watch. I started to listen, and I started to realize, like, man, these are there's some men in here who have what I yeah. want and and that was kind of that that precursor to give me that courage to go hey can i get your number um and i just started my life i always tell people my life changed when i started calling a man his name's mike i started calling mike on the way home from work my life completely changed now when i gave my life to jesus when i started reading my bible yes but when I started having that man that I called on the way home from work and talked about life and it felt so weird, it was a 2000 pound phone, right? But over time that phone is now it's light as a feather. Yeah. And I have, there's, there's nothing in this world that I would say or, or that I would do that I could, that I would feel ashamed to share with Mike. When I blow it, when I explode, when I say things I shouldn't, when I have to apologize, when I, whatever it may be, you know, that I, I don't feel any shame. I feel so comfortable sharing that with him, man. And what, what a gift to right. have. Oh, and I want absolutely. every listener to have that. I really do. So,
1: yeah, I want every listener to have a guy like Mike in their life too. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say this, look y'all, I am 53 years old when this podcast airs and I still go to guys who are a little bit farther along than me who have some things figured out that I don't, and I still look at them and say, hey, can I learn from you? Would you be willing to pour into my life a little bit? I'm still a guy who recognizes I need to do that. Now, I'm trying to do that with some other young dudes as well, but I'm saying a guy like Mike is so important that you never outgrow it. And I hope what you're hearing from Adam is, I don't have a guy like Mike in my life. I need to get a guy like Mike in my life. I'm gonna go out and find a guy like Mike in their life.
0: Yes, yes. And you know, the book, uh, Mandinity, it's called Healing the Wounded Man. Actually, is it's it's kind of a step-by-step process to do that. It starts out with accepting your reality and learning how to love and kind of slows us down and helps us see that picture. But in the middle of the book, I talk about how to find that spiritual leader, how to find a man like that in a practical way. I got some questions that you can answer, some feedback. So it's kind of a slow walk through that, but one of the pieces are in the middle of that book is to help you do that. Yeah. So I uh, just wanted to, to throw that in. If you're wondering like, man, what does that look like or how do I get there? I feel like I don't want – I don't have a faith or I'm struggling with my faith or I grew up in church. I'm away from church or I'm an atheist. I'm an agnostic and I don't know God, so how can I read a read your book? You, you can be an agnostic. You can be an atheist. You can be coming back to church. You can be on fire for the Lord. It really is just a slow walk for men to kind of create this spiritual rhythm that's conducive to spiritual growth emotionally and spiritually. So it doesn't matter where you are in that that spectrum of spirituality. You can get on, and it's that slow walk to help you get this rhythm of life where you have a man, where you have a daily practice. So I just encourage anyone listening. uh, I've spent a lot of time on it. Uh, it's called Mandinity. and it's, I don't have, I used to have feel weird about promoting, but I don't because I truly believe that the book is designed to help the soul of the man. And now that after being released for over six months and I'm getting feedback and men are calling me and, and, and out of that, I'm going to birth a ministry because it's been doing so well. I'm just like, you know what? I want men to have this as a tool to help you find what we've been talking about Yeah in this, in this battle ready segment. So
1: perfect segue, man. I was about to talk about this book. You just dropped it six months ago. Um, you've just described it for everybody, but when you dropped it, it went to number one on Amazon in a couple of categories, which means you hit on a topic that people are searching for because there's a lot of questions about manhood and identity. So the ideal title for this book now is Mandinity. Tell everybody a little bit more about your original reason for starting a book, not just this book, but why did you decide I gotta, I gotta write a book?
0: Yeah. So <laughs> I had no vision or no dream to write this book. I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, I was working at a ministry called Men of Valor, and I still do a lot of things with them, still employed by Men of Valor. I work with Men of Valor, it's a prison ministry and a re-entry ministry, so when men get out of prison, they can come and live in these facilities for over a year. And I've been there for a year, and or, and I've been there for a few months, and and I was talking with uh, the executive director and the program director and just saying, you know, we're having men. They're just struggling with their manhood. They're struggling with recovery. It feels like we have a lot of trauma, a yeah. lot of pain, and we're doing really good at teaching them the Bible. Like We are so gifted at teaching the Bible. We get them jobs. We give them a place to stay. And it's, that's going really well. But we're having men who are leaving our program, who are falling because their identities are yeah. just struggling. They get their identity in their job or they they chase a woman or they just, and he said, could you, could you write a lesson? Could you start teaching a class? And I said, well, I'll write a lesson. So I wrote a lesson and the guys came together and they said, man, we love it. Can you write another lesson? <laughs> Do
1: another one. I'll
0: write another lesson. And so a lesson, a lesson, a lesson, a lesson, a lesson. And so next thing you know, they're like, can you make this a book? We want, we want want this to actually be like a class that our guys go through. So I put it made it a class and they said, listen, Adam, you need to get this out into the world. Like you, this needs to be a book. And so it was actually a need. It was the hearts of men that were crying out for help that, that made, that pushed me to do it. And so I, I pushed myself and pushed myself and I put the book together. And then it was the feedback that I was getting that said, man, it gave me courage and it gave me, I guess the wherewithal to go, I'm going to put my head down right. and no, I've never written anything. No, I'm not a world around author. I don't have 4 million followers. Right. Like, but I'm going to put out something that I believe can help me in a guide through their soul. And that's what did it. It was just a God thing. It was uh, it was, it was totally the Lord and totally the place that I was in at that time. And I'm just, I'm just honored to be able to do it. And, 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 and what I do just real, real quick, um, I kind of, I start every chapter off with a, with a snapshot of my story. So sometimes like reading for men can be, can be difficult because yeah. man, we we work with our hands and, or, you know, we work all day with our minds and we want a w- way for us to escape is to go to the gym. And so you can, you know, this, this, the reason why I did the book this way is because it starts out with this snapshot, right? It's, it's kind of a tough situation or a crazy story that kind of gets you into the book and like, man, this is wild, you know? And then I go into the lessons and then there's questions. So a lot of times for men, like, it's like, I don't want to, I don't know how I feel about counseling. I don't know how I feel about talking yeah. with a man about my issues. So I'm hoping that this can kind of be a, a beginning for a man to start thinking, to start writing, to kind of have a chance to self-reflect and self-evaluate with you and God. And maybe it'll get you to a place where you feel comfortable to be a little bit more vulnerable with another person. So,
1: yeah, I'm just going to say it, man go out and buy Adam French's book, Mandinity. And if it feels like Jeff is promoting a book, is he getting any money off of this? No, man, I'm not getting one penny off of it. But you've already described, we've already said there is so much of a need, there's so much of a desire to figure this one out that when you release this book, it really does go to number one in a couple of categories on Amazon, the biggest uh, bookseller, you know, online bookseller in the universe. Um, right. And that's saying, hey, there's a genuine need out there. But there's another reason I want people to pick up your book. And that's because, Adam, in your book, you just get honest. You get gut level real with people. And I really think there are some guys that are listening. There's some gals that are listening to this podcast right now who are saying, man, I have done some things in my past and I hope nobody ever finds out about who I used to be because I'm a bit ashamed about who I used to be. It takes yeah, a lot of courage for you to be that real and that vulnerable in this book. Why would you be so a uh, gut level honest?
0: Yeah. Well, I tell you the reason why is because I've been, I've been clean, sober, and I've been a pastor. I've been a pastor for 10 years. I God, it radically changed my life. My story kind of chops back and forth. My, <clears throat> my father came to Christ he never was over to, able to overcome alcohol. So he actually died of cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, the first Alcohol baby.
1: literally killed him.
0: It killed him. And, you know, I found myself still struggling with those things, even though I came to faith and still had that habit of, of making easy money. And I actually was indicted. That was the beginning of, of my life. I got indicted for trafficking, cocaine. And through that whole story, God began to really change my life. And it, it forced me to go, man, I've got to, I've got, I'm going to, this is, I've got an uncle serving a life sentence in prison, a cousin serving life mm-hmm. sentence. My other uncle's an alcoholic. My dad's an alcoholic. It's like, this is where I'm going to end up if I don't figure out what's broken inside of me. And so it's sent me on this journey. <clears throat> and Jeff, and I thought I've made it. I'm at the top of my game. I was pastoring a ministry that was exploding. I'm in a mega church and I'm just like, man, what else, what else could I get, you know, right now? And I started to have these warm sensations come over me. It was it was it was Christmas Eve. We're watching Chevy Chase. Like
1: we're eating national lampoons. Mix. Uh, Christmas, come on, you know yeah, what I mean. All like, right,
0: like, everybody's at my house. Like I'm the the patriarch of my family. I'm my my, my mom's coming to see me. My brother, like everybody, comes to my home because we are we are the patriarch. We're the pillars. We've reached this point. And I started feeling funny. I was like, man, what is this? Long story short, I realized that I was having anxiety for the first time. Really? I didn't know what that was. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. And it sent me on this journey to my soul. And my wife was just brutally honest with me. She said, Adam, you know, I love you. I love what you're doing. But, man, I don't know if we can continue on like this. And I'm like, what are you you talking about? I thought we were perfect. And she said, you are so detached. Like you are so successful. You're so driven and you're a great leader and you're a wonderful dad. um, But there is not a connection there. And I realized that I didn't, I had to learn how to love. Wow. I was, I was spiritually fit. I was spiritually strong, but I was emotionally sick. And those are the most toxic people. I call (laughs) Wow. But like you can be spiritually fit and be emotionally sick. And so my head was attached from my body. I'm going around and I'm doing all these things for God, but I wasn't becoming this connected spiritual man. And so that is what led me to that point. That is what kind of led me to go. I've got to dig deep in my soul. And I found out that, you know, like I told you when I began this podcast with you, I mean, the story that I, the the, the, the phrase that I told myself over and over again, Jeff, was I'm not good enough. Yeah. You know, and the fact that I spent so much time alone, the uh, the fact that, you know, when I was eighteen, my girlfriend, you know, had an abortion, you know, the fact that I had robbed and stolen, I'd robbed people at gunpoint, uh-huh. I had drank, I had done drugs, I, I had done these things that were traumatic. I'd been I've been in these situations, some uh, not not because of my own doing, because of the atmosphere that I grew up, in, some because of I reached the age of accountability and I just chose to do it. And so I had to go back and face that part of my life so that I could become whole, so that I could start this journey of emotional health. And so I put these things in this book so that you could begin to look at your own life and that you could begin to start to go, where are the broken pieces to my puzzle? I have the missing pieces. They're just hidden. They're just hidden. And I need to find out where they are. I need to find out, how I can put these pieces back together. And sometimes I need other people to help me do it. So that's why I chose to do this. I've actually had men and pastors message me and go, you shouldn't have put that in the book. You know, <laughs> how and dare you? You're like, you, hey, know, it's my I, book, bro. Yeah, right. I mean, that's what I should have said. But no, I, I just said, no, I, I think if if it makes you feel uncomfortable, then I encourage you to look inside. Yeah, What are you hiding? Why would my honesty make you feel uncomfortable? Right. What it should do is go, man, man, if he has the courage to do this, I have the courage to do it too. I'm not going to live. I don't, I don't have to be miserable anymore. Right. I can walk in freedom. One of the, I'll say this now, and, and I'll hand it back over. One of the joys of being in the world of recovery, and I'll just use um, one of our systems. I'll just say AA, for instance. AA, you walk into an AA meeting. There is nothing that you can say that can condemn you. Nothing. The only requirement to be there is a desire to stop drinking. You walk into some faith settings. There are things that you can say that you can be condemned. Yeah, that should not be. so. That's
1: absolutely true.
0: That no. should not be so. And so the book is set up that way where, man, you can write any things on this. You can you uh-huh. can you can walk through your heart in this book and you're not going to be condemned. And it's going to show you and try to point you in a direction where you can find a man who's not going to condemn you. When I I remember when I walked through my life with, with Mike for the first time and he looked at me and I, I will never forget this. I'm never the same because of it. There was two things he did. One, I got finished with all these resentments that I had and he goes, Adam, none of those were your fault. I just began to weep. I said, I was like, he goes, those were all your parents' fault. I blame my parents for the things. Yeah that, 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 that I did. And then, then I blame myself for the things that they did. I was so confused. The other thing was when he started crying with me because he could relate Yeah, because he, and and there was nothing that I had done that he hadn't done. So I just want to, I, I, I did that Jeff, because I, I want people to feel safe in sharing their pain and being who they are, because you can be, you can be, you can be exactly who you are and you can heal, and you can grow. And that's why I wrote the book that way.
1: Well, perfect way to end this episode, man, because this whole podcast exists to introduce people to guys like you, who when they hear your story, they say, wait a second, man, I don't think Adam's got anything special. He figured something out. And if he can do it, I can do it too. So I want to end like this. So Adam, there's that guy or that, that gal that's saying, I have never been that real and that honest. I've never taken the mask down and been that real with any one human being on the planet. I don't even know where to start. What one piece of advice would you give them that as soon as this episode is over with, they could go out and find that Mike, the guy that you have in your life? What piece of advice would you give that that person?
0: Yeah. You know, my advice would be um, would be prudence, right? I want you, if you're hearing this and you're excited and you're, you've got like that springboard and, a, and you've got a shot in your arm, you're like, I, I need some help. Um, and you know who that person is. Like, you know that, man, I could call Jeff right now. And, and you know that. And you're struggling with sin, like you're using or you've been hiding. Call them right now. Don't, do not Don't wait. wait. They're not going to right. shame you. They're going to help you. Don't wait. Get help. Get help. Get help. Get help. Get help. Do not be ashamed go do it. If you have a Jeff, if you have someone, go do it right now. God will help you. God's going to be with you. I believe that. This is this is the Holy Spirit saying that. I don't mind. He, God wants to help you. His hand is there, right? right? If you're that person and you're going, I don't really have anybody. I'm not sure who that is. Then I would say, that's okay. You're okay too, right? So I would say, begin to look, begin to pray. The first step would be, all right, Get on your knees after this and say, God, send send someone, send me to a place, please, and, and do the same thing tomorrow. Keep praying, God, send a man, send me somewhere and look for God to speak. God's always at work. Jesus said, my, my father is always at work. So we don't have to think up of things to do for God. We have to find out where he's working and he is working. So you're going to hear that. What's going to happen is as you start to pray that someone's going to say, hey, there's a men's group coming up. Hey, there's... Hey, uh, hey, you ever heard of John? Yeah, man, he's he's got a counseling degree. He's hey, wait, wait, the coach of my son's baseball yeah, team, the right. counselor, right? It's going to happen. And when you see that, delayed obedience is disobedience. When you see that, go do it. Go right after him. So there's two types of listeners. There's one who has that person, and I'm saying, go. Don't wait. Don't drag your feet. Go. That person who doesn't, I'm saying, get on your knees, begin to pray. God, show me, God, send them, let me know. And then have your ears open, anticipating not an expectation where you create all these things and you're going to be let down, anticipating that God's going to answer that prayer and he's going to send someone to help
1: you. Yeah, there it is. Great advice. If you're saying I need a person like that in my life and you have somebody that you think may fit that bill, then take Adam's advice, go right now and don't wait. If you're saying, I need somebody, but I don't think I have them in my life, then take Adam's advice, get on your knees, start to pray, ask God to send somebody like that. But when they show up, don't hesitate, go yes. start talking and you be the first one to let your guard down and say, I'm a mess and I need some help.
0: Amen. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Man,
1: thank you so much for taking some time and speaking just gut level honest today about what's what um, has happened in your life and just being willing to talk about the state of what I refer to masculinity in our society, man. I hope listeners will go out and get a copy of Adam French's book, Mandinity, as soon as this episode is over with.
0: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. If you want to connect with me more, you can go to theadamfrench.com, T-H-E-A-D-A-M-F-R-E-N-C-H, That's All my social media handles are the same. You can DM me, ask me any questions. I want to be here for you. I want to help you. And I I just say thank you for taking the time uh, as a man of faith and all the things that you have going on to create a platform for men to come and listen and be vulnerable. I, I thank you for what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing. And honestly, we need more men like you who will stand in the gap for all of us who are either, who are either on the, say we're on the high end of faith or on the low end. I think that you're standing the gap and bringing us together. So praise God for you. I appreciate all that you do for this, uh, for the men of men of men that are listening and the men that are going to come. So thank you, brother. Yeah,
1: man. Thank you for saying that. And Adam, I feel the same way about you, dude. Amen. All right. We'll see you later. Right there. You just heard it from Adam. If you have a guy or a gal in your life that you can trust, don't wait, go right now and start to go deep with them and get healthy. If you don't have that kind of person in your life, why don't you start immediately looking for somebody who you want to model your life after? That guy or that gal can help you be unbeatable too. Man, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you found our podcast for the first time, we would love for you to follow us on social media. All you have to do is just search at Unbeatable Podcast on just about any platform. And if you like what you heard, why don't you go ahead and rate us? I mean, you can rate us if you didn't like what you heard, but we really want you to rate us if you liked what you heard on your favorite podcast platform. Did you know that this podcast is only a couple of months old, but it has taken off like a rocket. And we're now heading towards a big, bold goal of having 50,000 downloads by April 15th. Here's what you can do to help out. If you're a regular to the Unbeatable podcast, would you text a friend? Would you send an email? Would you let somebody know about this podcast and help us get to the goal of 50,000 downloads by April 15th. Thanks for being part of this episode. I'll see you right back here next week. God bless.